Lasting Love Podcast, presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love Podcast. My name is Roy Biancolana, and today we've got a pretty juicy topic. And the title I've chosen is What to Do When Your Picker is Broken. <laughs> do you know what I mean by that? I mean, a lot of people feel like they have a special ability, like a special knack at picking the wrong people to be in relationship with. And, and they often say, I think my picker's broken. <laughs> Like, I I choose the wrong people and it just leads to drama and disappointment and so forth. So we're going to talk about that today. But let me set the context a little bit. Because this podcast is a standalone podcast. And what I mean by that is you don't have to listen to any other podcast to fully, you know, get what I'm talking about and follow along and really learn something. However, I'm sort of building on the last podcast, which was number 59. The last podcast was was titled, Fire Your Relationship Coach, Five Ways Your Mind is Keeping You Single. Okay? And in that podcast, and I'll develop this more in just a minute, um, I talked about why that voice in your head, your mind, um, really shouldn't be trusted because if you pay attention to how your mind has been giving you relationship advice over the years and how it's been interpreting people's behaviors and how it, you know, makes up stories and, you know, just tries to fill in the blanks when you really don't know what's going on. If you pay attention to your mind, you'll recognize that it is wrong so often that you shouldn't have any trust in your own thinking, in your own ability to figure things out and know why people are doing things and what certain things mean and so forth. So that last podcast, I tried to establish the idea that you have like a relationship coach that lives in your head and is giving you bad advice all the time and you should fire them. I sort of made the analogy, it'd be like having a financial advisor that every piece of advice they give you, you know, your portfolio tanks. You know, you're getting the worst financial advice. And so you wouldn't continue getting advice from that person, right? You would fire them because, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Well, we have like a a relationship advisor <laughs> It's living in our heads. And again, you got to pay attention, but you're getting bad advice from it all the time. It misreads situations. It, it, uh, it, um, projects onto other people. It makes up stories just to fill in the empty space because the mind really doesn't like the unknown and so forth. So I was making the point that your mind is not trustworthy to give you relationship advice. And so I ended that last podcast with kind of a cliffhanger in the sense that, okay, if, you know, you'd be thinking, okay, Roy, if I'm not supposed to trust my own thinking in choosing partners and, you know, being able to figure out what's going on and make decisions in my love life, if, if I'm not supposed to trust myself, then how in the world do I ever make any relationship decisions? How do I, how do I pick someone? How do I decide if I'm going to go on a second date or a third date or become monogamous or take my profile down or, right? Like if I'm not trusting my own thinking, what in the world do I trust or where do I get my guidance and my wisdom and, and how do I make these decisions? So I left you hanging there. And this podcast is answering that question. 
And I'm going to answer it in two ways. But again, if you haven't heard in the last podcast, I mean, I think it would be a, a great service to yourself to do so. But you don't have to because I'm going to give you enough of the context to where you can stay with me and and kind of pick up on what's going on here, okay? Now, I want to start, I want to give you what I believe is perhaps one of the most powerful quotes that has ever been written in spiritual texts, okay? I really would put this one at the very top of the list as to a quote that you should ponder, that you should you know memorize, and that you should meditate on the meaning of. Okay? And the quote comes from what I think is like the oldest spiritual textbook, I guess you could say, spiritual Bible um, that's ever been written. It's 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 called the Tao Te Ching. It's in very like a five thousand year old Chinese manuscript on spirituality. Believe it or not, I mean, five thousand years ago, people had spiritual questions. <laughs> we aren't really very different. In some ways, we have not evolved all that much. We're still trying to make sense of who are we, why are we here, where do you go when you die, what's life about, and all those you know big kind of existential questions. They were wrestling with them five thousand years ago. We're wrestling with them now. And this quote is all about the mind. And it's all about really making decisions. And in a sense, it's very much related to how you can go about picking your partner. It's really about how you can make any decision. But it really applies to this situation about listening to your own thinking, feeling like you have to figure it out and you have to analyze what people are doing and trying to understand and, you know, all of that, all that stuff that all of our minds do, you know, having that inner relationship coach that's just giving you advice and guidance and wisdom about people and what this means and what that means and so forth. So here's the quote from the Tao Te Ching. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? Okay. Hear that. Let me let me say it one more time. Do you have the patience to wait? Till your mud settles and the water is clear. Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? <laughs> now, what this is getting at is a couple of things that you know in your personal and direct experience that sometimes the mud inside of us is all stirred up right? We're a mess. There's an inner commotion. There's turbulence. There's some fear. There's some anxiety. There's some worry, right? There's sometimes we're stirred. We're triggered. We're reactive, okay? Sometimes the mud is very thick. Sometimes it's maybe not as thick. But if you pay attention to yourself, you're going to notice that very often, I mean, very often, every day, your mud gets stirred up and the water is not clear. Okay, so this writer here is saying, do you have the patience when that happens to wait? Sort of to um, to do nothing, to decide nothing, to to take no action, to say no words. Do you have the patience to wait until the commotion quiets down until the ripples or the waves or the tsunami on the water calms down to that sheer glass. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? And then it says, 
Can you remain unmoving? I mean, unmoving. Don't do anything. Stop. No action. No thoughts. No decisions. Nothing. Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? What they're pointing to here is that if you will rest and be unmoving and be in presence or stillness, you do not have to decide. You don't have to be the chooser, the doer, the decider, the one who figures it out. It's saying that if you will remain unmoving and have the patience until the water is clear, a right action will arise all by itself. What that means is either the right action or the thing to do or the thing to say or the person to choose or whatever is going to become obvious. It, it, it's going to be chosen for you. It, it's, it's just going to be decided for you. It just unfolds. It's obvious. It's right there without your doing anything or thinking or obsessing or worrying or something. Saying the right action will arise by itself. Like there will be a wisdom that will just be there. Or events or circumstances will play themselves out to where the right answer is presented to you. In other words, you don't have to go looking for it or trying to figure it out. It's, it's going to come to you. Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises by itself? Wow, do I suggest you memorize that one. Um, talk about life advice. <laughs> talk about some wisdom that you can hang your hat on that can be of such service to you. Now, why do I bring this up? <laughs> well, it's because your mind is full of shit. It's because that inner relationship coach that you have inside your head is wrong all the time. And the basis for it, like the reason why that voice in the head talks and is trying to figure things out and how, why it, it interprets people's behaviors and tries to make sense of the confusion that you will experience in your love life. The reason it's doing it is, be, is because your mud is stirred up, because you're scared. It's, it's because there's an inner commotion. Right? So I want to read to you a section of my book that frankly, a couple of episodes ago, I think I read the same section, but it's only two paragraphs. It's short and it's so powerful and it's so universal and it's so your experience and my experience that I want to read it again to set the context for our conversation about what to do when your picker is broken. I, I want to let you know why you're why you have that voice in your head, why, why you have that inner relationship coach that is giving you bad advice. Okay, so I'm, I'm setting the context here for it. So I wrote this in chapter five of my newest book, Relationship Boot Camp. I started out the chapter, I am scared. That's sort of a weird thing to say or write, but it's nevertheless true. And I'm not necessarily scared of any particular situation or possibility, though at times I am. No, the kind of fear I'm talking about is more structural in nature than circumstantial. It's an undefined sense of feeling separate, a background feeling of being fundamentally alone and left to fend for myself. That's how life often feels to me, and it's felt that way for as long as I can remember. However, unless you, you're, re, you're extremely intuitive or perceptive, you wouldn't see it by looking at me. I'm pretty good at hiding it, even from myself. But it's there, like the background hum of, of a refrigerator. It's always there. And because I feel separate and alone, I live with a subtle sense of threat. 
It's a vague feeling of being vulnerable. I have to protect myself. I have to make my own way, and I have to figure out how to get my needs met. That's the stage on which my life plays out. Unquote. So what I'm getting at there, if you look in places that you really don't want to look, if, if you really tune in to what's going on behind the scenes, the, the place you don't want to face, the place you don't want to admit to anyone else, you have this subtle or not so subtle feeling of I'm a separate person. I'm, I might be around people, but I'm, I'm alone. Um, I'm separate. I'm alone. And I have to fend for myself. And because of that felt sense of separation, there's this constant state of threat. Okay. So that's that feeling of being vulnerable that if, that if I don't look out for me, if I don't take care of me, if I'm not on guard for me, if I'm not acting on my behalf, if I'm not looking out for myself, then I'm screwed, right? There's this sense of separateness that leads to a sense of a kind of a low grade kind of anxiety, kind of a low grade sense of worry or threat. Now, that is unbelievably uncomfortable. And so what happens because we live with that subtle sense of threat or being vulnerable, our mind is given the job to protect us. The mind comes online to figure things out, to answer questions. The the mind's job is sort of the survival of the being. The mind is going to try to figure out the answers that it needs to make us safe, to deal with that sense of separateness, right? So that voice in your head is speaking from fear. And its job is to do its best to make sense of the world around you and to give you the information and the wisdom and the guidance you need to survive in the world. And so to do it, it comes up with the five ways the mind is going to keep you single, which is what I talked about in the last podcast. It comes up with these five roles, okay? It comes up with you need, it will be your interpreter, right? The, the mind will hear things and see things and sort of interpret, like, what does that mean? It will translate for you. Well, that person didn't text you. This is what that means. That person looked at you funny. That's what it means. That person, you know, rejected you or didn't want to give you their phone number or they didn't want to go on a second date with you. Well, this is what this means. Let me interpret this for you. So, your scared mind trying to trying to deal with your sense of feeling separate and alone and fending for yourself is going to function as your translator and interpreter as a way to explain everything around you so you can feel safe. It will also function as your secret service agent. <laughs> Remember, I, I, I shared how secret service agents are always scanning the crowd for threat. And at the sign of any... Anything weird, anything out of place, it's going to whisk you, it'll whisk the president away to safety. And your mind is like that. It's, it's, it's looking for threat. It's looking for agendas. It's looking for motives. And at the first sign of trouble, it's going to get you out of there. It's going to, to help keep you safe. Okay, so your mind functions as interpreter, as secret service agent. It will function as your pocket psychologist. People are going to, have issues, you're, you'll, they'll tell you their issues or you'll see things in their lives and your, your inner psychologist is going gonna, is gonna to diagnose someone. Ooh, stay away from that. Oh, well, that, that pattern or that background or that situation means, you know, they're commitment phobic or they're, uh, they have um, 
a real attachment issue or they have an abandonment wound, right? So again, your mind is going to function in these roles because you feel like you're a separate person and you got to fend for yourself. And so you got to figure this stuff out to keep yourself safe. So it'll be interpreter. It'll be secret service agent. It'll be pocket psychologist. It'll be psychic, right? Your mind is going to see or hear about certain things and it's going to start predicting what people are going to do. Oh, once a cheater. Well, you know what that means. Always a cheater. It's going to predict the future. Oh, they're in AA, they're in recovery. Well, I can tell you they're going to fall off the wagon and you're going to be in the middle of all that, right? So do you notice that your mind does these four things? That it's, you think you're psychic. You really do think you know what the future is and what a person is. Oh, that, you know, and you, you think you're a psychologist. Oh, they're 50, never been married. Oh, well, they, you know, they've got some real commitment issues. <laughs> and your mind does this with people it, that it hasn't even met. You just know some biography around a person. You might have met them and had a five-minute conversation, and you've got them all figured out. Your mind is like psychic, and you know what's going to happen with a person like that. This, you know, And then you know what their psychological issues are from something they might have shared in a profile or in a brief conversation, right? And then it's the Secret Service agent and the interpreter. Do you, do you notice that that's what your mind is fucking doing all day long? And it's because deep down you feel separate and alone and left to fend for yourself. Your, your mud is stirred up. And so your mind comes in there to try to give you guidance and wisdom, and it functions in those four roles. But the other role that it functions in is matchmaker. Matchmaker. Because what's the real solution to feeling separate and alone and having to fend for yourself? Oh, my God. The perfect solution is the right partner. And not just any partner, but a certain kind of partner with certain qualities, certain characteristics. I don't need just any partner to make me feel safe, to make me feel connected, to make me feel like um, I'm safe or that I belong or, or that I'm, I can relax. I don't need just any partner. I need a specific kind of partner who will be perfect for me and the way my separateness shows up, the way I feel and based upon my past experiences in life and the way I was raised. So we end up our inner matchmaker, your inner relationship coach functions as a matchmaker and it starts telling you, here's what you need to put on your list. <laughs> Do you see it? That your list is written from fear. Your list is written by your pain. It's written by your past. And it's written as a way to alleviate your sense of being separate and alone in this world. So right there, you see that the, your, your inner relationship coach, it, its whole reason for being is fucked up. It, its whole reason for being is fear. Its whole reason for being is to make you feel safe and connected. And so anytime you're getting advice from someone who's giving it from a triggered, reactive, turbulent place... Wow, you better be very suspicious of listening to that. Haven't we all made decisions or taken action when we have been an absolute mess and it came back to bite us? I mean, don't we all know? You hear, What do you hear about that? People talk about being angry. You know, don't ever make a decision when you're really angry. Don't make a life decision or a career decision or a relationship decision when you're in crisis or when you're really angry or something terrible has just happened. Why? 
is because the mud is so stirred up that you can't see clearly. And you're going to make it worse. Well, I'm saying that your mud is stirred up all the time. That's what it means to be a human being with an ego. And yet, we do make decisions when the mud is stirred up. We do pick partners. We do react and try to figure things out. And the way at which it happens, the way in which your mind works is as translator, secret service agent, psychologist, psychic, and mostly as matchmaker. So one of the reasons you should be very suspicious of your mind telling you who you need as a partner is that your mind is speaking from that reactive place, from your past, from your pain, from your fear of being separate. And that is sort of, well, that's, that's more than sort of dangerous. It's like, you don't want to listen to that. So your mind becomes matchmaker because it believes that finding a partner is going to fix that feeling of being separate as it does all these other roles, right? So can you relate to this? I mean, does this make sense to you? Now, I know we don't talk about these things openly, um, these kind of deep fears and feelings of being separate, but they're there. So in my book, I, I, listed, I listed three reasons why you shouldn't listen to your personal mind. That's why I'm talking the voice in the head, your inner relationship coach is your personal mind. Okay? And the first one I listed is its wisdom is limited and incomplete. In the last podcast, I mentioned how you know, your mind can only make decisions based upon the information that it has. And you might have had a lot of experiences in your life, but when you compare it to everything that's happening on the planet for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, your experience is very limited. I mean, you have a real sliver of experience from which to make decisions about men and women and dating and relationships. But your mind can only make decisions based upon the experiences it's had, sort of like the data that's put into a computer. The, comp- the computer can't do beyond its programming. It's limited to its programming. And you are limited to your experience, which is unbelievably limited in the grand scheme. So to trust your thinking, when you have such a limited knowledge base, it would be ridiculous. Okay? The second reason you shouldn't trust your mind is because its its perspective is fear-based. It's a neurotic mess. We've just been talking about that. your, Your mind is built on fear. That voice in your head is fear. And because it's all fear based, you're all the mud. You don't want to listen to the mud talking to you. Okay? And then the third reason is Something that I call your mind, I I say your mind in the book is literally full of shit. The the garbage is gabbing, is what, (laughs) let me, here's how I say it in the book. Um, The mind's favorite hobby is collecting bad experiences. And so the content of our thinking, what the voice in the head actually talks about, comes from the bad experiences we've not allowed to pass through us. In other words, the mind is a landfill. It's where we store our emotional garbage and our moment-to-moment thoughts are like the odor rising off of the pile of that garbage. So when our minds talk, it's literally the garbage that's gabbing. And we'd be nuts to listen to it. Okay? (laughs) You got to get that, that 
your mind stores all the negative experiences. I mean, some of the positive ones too. But the stuff that doesn't make it through you, the stuff that gets stuck in you, Eckhart Tolle calls it the pain body. The Hindus call it samskaras. We call it baggage. All that stuff, the the emotional wounds, the emotional pain, the, the bad experiences, it's all stored in us. And so that voice in your head, it's talking about that stuff. That's all it has to talk about. It, it It's the content. And so the garbage is gabbing. It's the garbage that's talking in your head. And oh my God, you'd be crazy to listen to that. Just like you'd be crazy to go sit on a a landfill and just smell that odor over and over and over again. Right? That's what it's like when we listen to our minds. The garbage is gabbing and, and we're keeping the past alive and it's all the painful stuff and your mind is a neurotic mess is what I'm saying. So now here we go. We've circled around. Okay, Roy, if, if you give me three pretty damn good reasons why I shouldn't listen to my own mind, well then, how do I decide anything? How do I pick a partner if I'm not going to use my mind? Oh, I got two, two ways for you. One way is very practical, very down to earth. The other way is deeper even and comes with even more truth. But let's start with this practical kind of on the surface. It's a little shallower, but it's a great way to deal with the the idea of your picker being broken. Because I'm telling you, your picker is broken. (laughs) Nobody's picker works. So I'm saying the picker is the matchmaker, the, the, the relationship coach that lives in your head. It's broken. Everyone's is broken. Okay, so it's not just you. You just are brave enough to see it. Okay? But the mind is broken. The mind doesn't know what it needs. It just knows what it's what it's afraid of. Okay? So your picker is broken. My picker is broken. Everybody's picker is broken. Now, you say, well, I know some people have picked great partners and they're happy. Um, I would say, no, that's a long discussion there. Um, perhaps they weren't picking from the same source of wisdom as most of us do, which I'm going to talk about. Um, and perhaps they've, they've picked someone like I did and there's a kind of a codependency that's working. Because again, when your mind picks your partner, it's picking a partner, it's making a list of qualities, saying, I need to find someone who's going to fix that not okay feeling inside of me, that feeling of being separate, that feeling of being alone, that feeling of being vulnerable, left to fend for myself. I need this kind of partner who's going to fix that. Well, the other person's doing the same thing. Okay, so that is what codependency is. I need you to be a certain kind of partner and stay being a certain kind of partner because then you make me feel connected. You make me feel safe. You you alleviate that sense of me being separate. And the other person is finding the same thing in you. Your job is to love them in a way and be the kind of person that... that that they need so that you fix their feeling of being separate. And so if both people continue to function as the life source of their partner, the relationship can work pretty decently. Codependence does work pretty decently if both people are doing their codependent job for the other. But for most people, they start to do a lousy job. They, they don't continue to be the kind of person that they were supposed to be to heal those wounds of separateness and alienation and 
in fear. And so that's where drama comes from. When you're not doing your job for your partner to make them feel safe, they're going to be upset at you and vice versa. So I would argue that anybody's picker uh, is, is, has actually picked the right partner for the right reasons, right? Unless there are some people on the planet who are picking from the reasons that I'm going to share with you. And if that's the case, then you do want to emulate them, Okay. So what are the two, the two ways to pick? One is kind of surface, one's deeper. They're both valuable. They're both fun. And I would suggest you use them both um, totally. And the first one is if your picker is broken, well, then take it out of the equation. In other words, stop being the one who chooses who you date and who you relate with and who you commit to. Delegate that process to people who aren't you. Because if you're picking the wrong partners, then stop it. (laughs) Stop it. We'll say, well, how do I pick a partner? Get a group of friends around you, people that know you, people that love you, people that have no ax to grind with you. They're not jealous of you. They really love you. They want the best for you. And tell them, I want you to pick my next partner. I might meet them online or otherwise, but as soon as I meet them, I'm going to bring them around you, around my posse. Let your posse be your picker (laughs) would be a way to to say this. I'm going to meet someone some way, somehow, and I'm going to bring them around my group of trusted friends and I'm going to tell my friends, listen, the reason why I want you to meet this person is I want, I'm giving you the responsibility of telling me whether I should go out with them or not. I am completely out of the equation because my picker is broken and I suck at it. I've got whatever blind spots I've got. I've got whatever patterns and personas that make me pick the wrong people. So I'm out. You don't have my issues. You don't have my baggage and my background and, and, and all. You don't have my problems. But I know you love me. So when I meet someone, I'm going to bring them around my posse. And after that night, after that hour or whatever, maybe it's a happy hour, who knows where it is, I'm going to come to you privately and say, so what do you think? And if your friends say to you, that person's a keeper. You need to start dating them. We like that person. They feel solid. They feel good. We think that's a good fit for you. That doesn't mean you marry them, but it does mean you agree to spend at least three months with that person. Even if you don't feel the chemistry. Even if you say, but guys, I would never pick that person. Yeah, that's the point. You're not attracted to this person and you should be because sometimes haven't you found that we're attracted to people we shouldn't be and we're not attracted to people that we probably should be, right? That's the point. You're taking yourself out of the equation because your picker's broken and you're, you're, you have your group of friends. And again, they have got to be people that you trust and that you know they've got your back because your friends know what you're attracted to and what you're not. They, they know what your type is. I mean, they've got a night. They're your friends. They know you. So they're, they're not going to put you with someone that you'd be like, ew, disgusting. I wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole, right? They're not going to do that. But because they don't have your issues, they're going to see this person clearly. Because they don't have your mud, <laughs> they can see the person clearly. And so if your friends say, oh, no, no, I, I, know that, I know that you would never choose that person. That's a good person. That's a person. They'd be good for you, good with you. You have to make an agreement with your friends that if you say that it's a good fit, I'm going to give that relationship three to six months. And after that period of time, if you just don't feel it, you look at your friends and say, I, I know you thought they were a good fit and I've been with them. I've been out with them now 
you know, we've been together three to six months and I just don't feel it. Fine. Fine. Then you can break it off and move on. Okay. But you've got to delegate the decision to your friends and you've got to do whatever they tell you to do for three, for three to six months. Now you might also meet someone online or through the general course of life and you bring him to your friends right away and you're already excited. Oh my God, the chemistry's off the charts. I mean, you just, this person's like, oh wow, oh, just, right? And you're just into it, but you're committed. I'm not picking. I'm not picking. I made an agreement with my friends beforehand that anybody I meet, um, the decision is going to be made by my posse. But, you, but you're excited about this person and you bring them before your posse and they spend a couple hours with you hanging out, whatever, you know. And at the end of the evening or the next day, you get on the phone with your friends and they're like, hey, no, I don't see it. Uh-uh. Nah, I don't think it's a good fit for you. Uh, um, something's off. I, I can't put my finger on it. I just don't get, I don't have a good feeling about it. And you'd be like, what are you talking about? They're so cute and they have a decent job and they were really nice to me. And you're going to argue with them and your friends are going to say, I-, I know it. I know it. I'm just telling you what I felt. You wanted me to be your posse uh, and your posse to be your picker. And I'm telling you, I don't see it. I say, stay away. I say, move on. When that happens, you have to break up with them. You cannot see them again unless you want to let your picker lead you in another horrible direction. So what I'm saying here, your posse knows better than you do as to what you need and what would be good for you. They know better than you do. That's the point of this whole thing. Your picker's broken. (laughs) You don't know how to pick a partner. You're lousy at it. They know you, they love you, and they are not clouded by chemistry or by anything else. And they can look at a person and look at you and they can feel it. Very, very rarely will your posse be wrong. Your group is going to be right 95% of the time. If they say it's a go, then you go. Eventually, you get to decide who you marry. <laughs> okay, so they're not—they're not going to do that for you, but they're going to decide who you really give your your time and heart to. But if they say no, you're out. Even if that person is so sexy to you and feels so right to you, if you think your picker's broken, then this is what you do. If you want to trust yourself and trust your mind. Trust that neurotic nut job that lives in your head. Okay, do it again. And you'll have another disaster. And then maybe you'll be ready to have your posse pick your partner. Okay? I challenge you to get your group of friends around you. Maybe you even do this for each other. If, you've, if, if you're talking to your, your guy friends or your girlfriends and the, and the conversation is, <laughs> God, I picked another loser. I picked another... You know, the bad boy, you know, and oh my God, I got swept up in it and it went nowhere and my heart is broken. You know, whatever, whatever it is, you can be each other's posses. Oh man, do I challenge you to try that. See if it turns everything around. I know it will. Now, let's go deeper. And how should I address this? So you've got this personal mind that's neurotic, right? Its wisdom is limited and incomplete. It's fear-based. It's got, it's got a, a perspective that's fear-based. And it's literally full of shit. It means that what your mind talks about is based upon all the stored negative emotional baggage from your past. Okay? That's the personal mind. And you should laugh at it rather than listen to it. But there is something called presence mind. Okay, there's a presence mind and it comes at the world in a different way. It's, it's sourced in a different kind of wisdom. It is not based on incomplete wisdom. It is not fear-based. It's not full of shit. Presence mind is 
the deepest part of you, the part of you that is beyond that separate self sense. It's beyond, it's, it's, it's the clear water part. <laughs> when the mud settles and the water is clear, that's presence. And so I wrote a section in my book. It probably took me two or three weeks, weeks to write one page. And I don't think I could say it better off the top of my head. So I'm going to read you another little section from my book as I try to talk about presence mind. Because in chapter five of my book, I have this contrast between the personal mind and presence mind. And again, I'm answering the question, if you don't go to your own mind for wisdom and guidance and who to date and how to make sense of the world, where do you make decisions from? Where, where is the guidance? What is the wisdom? Well, it's not from your personal mind. It's from something called presence mind. And this is, this is how I say it. If we don't listen to our minds, how do we make decisions about life, love, and the pursuit of intimacy? Well, the answer is, we don't. We don't have to make decisions. They will be made for us. We don't have to figure everything out. Things will work themselves out. We don't have to control things. Things are already under control. And we certainly don't need our minds to play any of the roles we've been discussing. Matchmaker, translator, secret service agent, psychologist, psychic. Instead, we can simply relax in presence and trust. Now, presence is the state of being that emerges when, as the Tao says, the mud settles and the water is clear. In other words, presence is when you're not feeling triggered, threatened, or reactive. It's when you're not all stirred up on the inside, trying to figure everything out and control everything. Presence is inner stillness. Now, trust is the attitude or behavior of presence. It's knowing deep in your bones that you are and will be okay no matter what happens. Trust is experienced as an unquestioned sense of safety and security that does not come from circumstances, but from a deep confidence that the universe is fundamentally good and trustworthy. When the mud settles and we can trust like this, it dramatically changes how we live. In those moments when we feel confused, anxious, or vulnerable, instead of trying to figure it all out and control everything, we can shift from fear to trust and know that no matter what happens, we are and will be okay. Trust allows us to breathe, open our hearts, and let go. It gives life the space to unfold without us ha having to do anything. Trust invites us to relax our grip, to wait and let things play out and allow an action or a response to arise all by itself. In presence, you give life the space to answer your questions, to make your decisions, or to make your path straight. What I'm suggesting is that you stop interfering with life and instead relax in presence and allow things to be revealed in its own time. Instead of going up into your head and listening to all of its garbage and then taking matters into your own hands and usually making things worse, what if you took your hands off the wheel and let life drive? What would happen? Well, that would depend on how you see the universe or God, wouldn't it? If it's a cold, cruel world, then you'd feel alone and left to fend for yourself. But what if, as Einstein wondered, what if the world is beyond benign to the point of actually being benevolent? What if life is actually for us? In the book Facets of Unity, A. H. Almas wrote this. Basic trust is a non-conceptual, implicit trust or confidence that what is optimal will happen. The sense that no matter what happens, all is well and will be well. 
It's the confidence that reality is ultimately good, that nature, the universe, and all that exists is for you, that its very nature is trustworthy. See, he's basically channeling what King David wrote thousands of years ago in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet quiet waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. So how do you see the universe? Are you separate and alone, left to fend for yourself? Or is the universe and all that exists for you? Which is it? Are you on your own? Or is the Lord your shepherd? Well, if you're like me, it's both. When I listen to the personal mind and it tells me that I'm alone and then I have to figure things out, I become an emotional mess. But when I'm in presence, I'm relaxed and trusting that I'm not the doer, but that I'm being done. End quote. So that's it right there. Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises by itself? Can you rest in stillness and trust and just relax and let life unfold? Let the answers reveal themselves. Let the decision make itself. Let the understanding come to you of its own. You don't have to jump in there and grab the steering wheel and make decisions and try to control everything and figure everybody out and ask questions and obsess about it. You're dating someone new and they don't text you back for a couple of hours your mind will sell, will tell you, oh, they're going to break up with you. They're not into you. They're playing games with you. And if you listen to that, you're liable to blow up their phone or, you know, just reveal that you're a neurotic nut job. And you might find out that there was a perfectly legitimate reason why they didn't text you back right away. And then you're going to be embarrassed or worse, the person's going to break up with you because they, they see a side of you that just seems very unhealthy. What if they go a couple days or a couple hours without texting you and you just trust that however this turns out, it's going to be for me. If they are breaking up with me, that will be for me. If they're not interested, I'm okay. I am okay. I will be okay. No matter what the reason is that I'm not hearing from them or any other question or confusion or issue, you can relax and just trust that if something needs to be known, it will come to you. If a decision needs to be made, it will like, it'll like make itself You really don't have to be the thinker, the doer, the figure-outer. You really don't. You can just be in the moment and be available and be in a place of openness and trust. You really can let go and not listen to your your mind, which is always going to tell you, Nope, that won't work. It's too risky. You've got to do something. You've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to speak up. You've got to say something about this boundary. You've got to establish some rules here. You've got to, you've got to put somebody in their place. You cannot let them get away with that. You know, it, it, your mind is going to do that. It's been doing that. And where has it gotten you? Nothing but drama and difficulty and probably anxiety and depression and Prozac and Xanax and drinking too much and all that stuff. And I know it because that's my life. 
When I listen to my personal mind, I'm a mess. But if I can take a breath and just say, I'm not the doer, I'm being done. Relax, Roy, let go. What needs to be decided, the wisdom will come. The decision will make itself. Everything that you need is is provided for. That's what you do when your picker's broken. You either delegate the picking process to your posse or you just let go of being the picker. You don't have to be the picker. Life can hook you up with just the right person at just the right time. You can trust that if it would be good for you that life will put you with someone. I don't know how it works. It's a mystery. But you really can trust that if I'm supposed to be with someone, I'll be with someone. You really can trust that right now if you're single, you're supposed to be. You're right where you're supposed to be. This experience is happening to teach you something that only this reality can teach you. God has not forgotten about you. The, the life has not, not passed you by. You're not alone. You are not left to fend for yourself. If you want to put it in Christian terms, the Lord is your shepherd. It says you shall not want. It says even though you walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear anything. Why? Because you're not alone. Because thou art with me. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're an atheist, none of that matters. I don't buy into all that stuff from my own personal belief system, which I don't even care about. But it's true for all of us. You don't have to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Life is my shepherd. I shall not want. Life makes me lay down in green pastures and lay beside quiet waters. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for life is with me. So you you really can relax in presence and trust. And then maybe delegate to your posse too. So I suggest using both. What I really suggest is you don't listen to that inner relationship coach who is a neurotic nut job. I suggest the Tao, and I'll finish with this. Do you have the patience to wait till the mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? Now, if you need help with this, and oh my God, who doesn't? That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to walk with you from being identified with your thinking and your mind and all of its nonsense to letting go of that and moving into a places of stillness and trust. So that's my role is to help you wake up, to help you to help you attract lasting love from a much deeper place. It's it's really not even you attracting it. It's you letting go of feeling like you have to be the one to find someone. You really don't. That, let life find someone for you. I have a theory about arranged marriages. Maybe I'll share that in another podcast. <laughs> you know, the ancients in India, they had other people pick spouses. They had arranged marriages. Now, I'm not in favor of that if it's your parents or something in terms of getting married. But I am in favor of life arranging a marriage for you. I'm really not in favor of you doing it, you picking it, because how's that worked out? All right. If I can help you with any of this, reach out to me, Roy at coachingwithroy.com. My cell phone is 407 687 3387. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. 
Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.